I can confidently say that there are black bears in Shenandoah because we've seen them every time we visit. (laughs) Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob and this episode's special guest. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. If you want to check out other podcast episodes or see the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphacksdc.com slash podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Trip Hacks DC Tours. Spring tour season is right around the corner, and we will be ready to show you around. You can learn more about all of our tours over at triphacksdc.com. Today, I am joined by Danielle Jacobs-Irwin, host of Everybody's National Parks, a podcast dedicated to family adventure in our national parks. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you so much, Rob. I'm so happy to be here. I love your podcast because I unfortunately don't get to travel nearly as much as your family does. So I feel like I get to live and learn about these national parks through your family's eyes. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. And hopefully we inspire you to get out and see some of these parks one day. And our podcast episode today is going to be about the national parks in and around Washington, D.C., but you have had a chance to travel to the national parks all around the country. We have. We're, we're working our way slowly but surely. Um, we don't take these big road trips where we, you know, take off and live on the road for months at a time. We just, you know, when we can take a break from school and work, we take a trip. But you did live in Washington, D.C. and know quite a bit about the national parks around here. So I'm really happy to have you explain what's great about all of them and give some tips for folks who are going to be visiting and might want to check these places out. That sounds great. So we've got a few on our agenda. And just to note, uh, you know, the National Mall is the part of Washington, D.C. that everybody goes to when they come to visit. And it is a National Park Service unit, but it's not, you know, a national park in the way that Yosemite or Yellowstone is. Uh, It's a National Park Service unit. And so are a lot of the places that we're going to be talking about today. So is Rock Creek Park, another park that uh, I mentioned in one of the previous podcast episodes about sort of off the beaten track things that you can do here in DC. But we're not going to cover either of those since we've already done a little bit about them on the podcast. So the first one that I'm going to ask you about is called the CNO Canal, which stands for Chesapeake and Ohio Canal. Yeah, so that's a national historic site. And that is in DC and Maryland, Um, starts off in Georgetown and uh, goes up you know, all the way up into Maryland. There's um, a really nice spot in Georgetown, the old stone house that you can visit. But one of my favorite spots is the Great Falls Tavern. You go to the Great Falls Tavern Visitor Center. Um, Along the CNO Canal National Historic Park, there's seven visitor centers, but this is one of my favorite locations. It's about... um, I think it's about 14 miles from DC. And here you would you'll see Great Falls, those big falls that go in the uh in the Potomac River and across the way we'll talk about this park in a little bit, but um Great Falls is on the Virginia side and CNO Canal National Historic Park is on the Maryland side. So the CNO Canal once was an actual working canal and it's not anymore. And so how long has it been turned off and how long has it been a park that people have been enjoying? Yeah, so 
you know, this is preserving our um, early transportation history. Uh, it was active in the mid-18th century. George Washington promoted its development. So it operated for nearly 100 years. And it's it uh, it ends at Cumberland, Maryland, instead of going all the way to the Ohio River, which is where it was intended. So it closed because there were a lot of flooding problems and also because canals just kind of went out of business when railroads made transportation a lot easier in the country. You got it. That's right. So this is about 180 miles long. Uh, it starts in Georgetown, goes to Cumberland. And so I guess this is what you might call a linear park, where instead of it just being a giant you know, rectangle that you come and enjoy, kind of like the National Mall in downtown DC, this is one that you actually can start on one end and you know go all the way 180 miles and leave on the other end. Yeah, and there's uh, you can hike, you can bike, you can boat. They even have mule-drawn rides in season from the spring into the fall. So where does one pick up a mule? <laughs> so you can actually do that at the Great Falls Tavern Visitor Center. Okay, so it's a, it's a seasonal thing, like many outdoor activities are. And this is a park that uh, my guest Brian brought up in our Biking in D.C. podcast because it's actually a very popular place to do a bike ride. There is a bike trail that goes, it starts in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It connects in Cumberland to the CNO, and then you can ride your bike all the way down the trail and end in Georgetown. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, because I used to ride, it goes through Bethesda and then ends under the Key Bridge. Is that right? Exactly. So it ends right under the Key Bridge. When you arrive in Georgetown, you can hop right into a kayak at the Key Bridge Boathouse right under there and go on a different type of adventure if you want to. Exactly. Yes. And I've done that. <laughs> if I were just going for the day or half a day with my kids, I love going to this spot, starting out at the Great Falls Tavern Visitor Center. Um the first thing we, my family always does is gets the Junior Ranger activity book from the Ranger in the Visitor Center. We learn, the kids learn, and it's a fun thing to do while you're hiking. And once you're done, you can go back to the uh, go back to the Ranger and show them your completed book and take a Junior Ranger pledge and earn your Junior Ranger badge. And Junior Ranger is available uh, for free. Uh, at some of the visitor centers in the parks? That's correct. Uh, some, A few parks charge for the booklets. Uh, I've only experienced that one time where we actually had to pay for the booklet, but otherwise they're typically free. Yeah, and they're a lot of fun. I know families who come on my tour of the National Mall, sometimes the kids have their National Mall Junior Ranger, and it looks like a lot of fun. And so... I could definitely see if you have kids in your group, you know, grabbing some of those before you head out for the day. Yeah. And, you know, junior rangers can be any age. So I have seen adults and grandmas do it, too. In our family, uh, you know, we just help the kids do it. <laughs> One of the most popular hikes, which on a beautiful day will be crowded, um, but it's a beautiful hike, the Billy Goat Trail. Then there's a must-do is uh, hiking out to the Olmstead Island bridges to Great Falls Overlook. It's very easy, very accessible, about 0.2 miles, but very beautiful. And often that's all we get to because my kids just love it and we just take our time. And uh, so sometimes we don't even <laughs> get to hiking more than that. But there is also a um, gold mine hike. 
And you can see evidence of trolley tracks that were uh, for day trips in the early 1900s. And the gold belt spread from North Carolina to New York and cuts through D.C. area around Great Falls. So a little um, fun fact is soldiers from California that were in this area during the Civil War identified these uh, the gold mines there. So um, that's uh, it's approximately 21 gold mines in Montgomery County of Maryland. I didn't know about that for most of my life. I only found out about it recently. I think when people think gold or gold rush, they think of the California gold rush in the 1840s. And so this one was surprising to me that such a thing exists in this part of the country. One of my, um, my very first uh, interview that I ever did for my podcast was with a gentleman named Chris Barr, and he uh, he takes uh, Boy Scouts and Cub Scouts and stuff on hikes, and he uh, uh, talked about that. Another cool thing I just want to mention about him is, uh, I wonder if you know this, there are fossils all around D.C., and he has this website, dcfossils.org. So when you're at, especially like the National Gallery of Art, the, the Native American Museum, there are fossils in the walls, in the floor, and you can check out his website so you know where to look for them. Or maybe you'll discover them on your own. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I actually learned about that because of that podcast episode that you did. And to be completely honest, I was fascinated because I had no uh, idea that such a thing was right here in the city. But it's one of those things where, like you said, if you're not looking for it, you don't know that you're missing it. And so I just, for all those years, went to all these places and had no idea that they were hidden right there. So we're in the CNO Canal Park, and uh, it's mostly on the Maryland side, like you said, D.C. and Maryland. And once we get to the Great Falls, if you cross over the border to the Virginia side, you actually get into the Great Falls National Park. That's right. It's like small p park um it's a unit a national park service unit as opposed to one of the um 62 national parks which that number keeps on changing so (laughs) when your listeners listen to this at a later date it might be a new number but it's not a tiny park either it's still what 800 acres yeah, it's an 800-acre park. That's right. There's a lot of great hikes here, and you can just check in with the ranger for their recommendation, and depending on who's with you and your abilities and what you want to do and how long you want to go out for. But what's nice here is that it's a really nice place for people with limited abilities because there's three fall overlooks right from the parking lot. So you park your car, and within minutes, you're seeing these incredible falls and taking beautiful photos. I feel like this is a very popular spot for photographers because, like you said, you park your car, and then within moments, you're, you've got these spectacular views that you really don't get around D.C. and, quite honestly, in a lot of parts of the country. So it's very unique. It is. It's, it's really surprising that so close to D.C., you can see these incredible falls. When the weather is nice, just make sure you go early because the parking lot will fill up. (laughs) So that is a good point to mention, transportation to these parks. Uh, Most folks who come to D.C. to, you know, visit Washington, D.C., they don't usually get a rental car. They 
take the metro from the airport or a taxi or an Uber. And they're, you know, taking the circulator bus, they're taking the metro to get around, or they're walking, which is my preferred way of getting around town. But to get to some of these parks, you may need some additional transportation. So the CNO, um, you know, if you just do the part close to town, close to Georgetown, you might just hike over there or walk over there. Uh, Great Falls, it's about 15 miles from downtown D.C., so you're going to need some sort of transportation. Yeah, you could... uh... You could actually take an Uber um, or you could rent a car, of course. You could also, you know, metro out and then take a shorter Uber ride. So there are a few possibilities. Yeah. So I generally don't recommend getting a rental car, but I do think you can make an exception if you're going to do a one day trip, sort of a situation where you go to the Enterprise neighborhood rental car location and you pick it up in the morning and you go have a fun day and then you return it uh, in the evening. That way you don't have to worry about parking it because that's often what you know is the most annoying part of having a rental car in the city. Um, but like you said, a good trip hack for this is that if you don't want to uh, pay for the Uber all the way from downtown, you might take Metro all the way to the end of the line and then pick up a ride out there to go the rest of the way. Exactly. That's right. Is it true that there are bears in the park? Do people need to worry about that? So there are a lot of people around. Um, I have never seen bears in Great Falls, but apparently they are. So, um, you know, I haven't cross-checked that with a ranger there, and I have never seen one there, but um, I imagine they are. Yeah, it seems like one of those things that might be an urban legend. I know that in the national parks in the city, like the National Mall and Rock Creek Park, there's tons of wildlife. There's deer, there's foxes, there's, you know stuff that you wouldn't think you'd find in the middle of a city. So I can only imagine once you get outside the city and you're in a big park area like this, you might be able to find a lot of wildlife that you might not expect. Right, exactly. (laughs) I haven't seen deer on the National Mall, but uh, there are some incredible birds in uh, Kenilworth Aquatic Gardens, which we'll talk about later. Yeah, absolutely. And eagles as well uh, in the city. Oh, yeah. Yeah, eagles. For sure. Yeah, you could definitely see eagles. So some good wildlife, some good bird watching if you're into that sort of thing. Uh, So let's say someone gets the rental car, they decide they want to do that, and then maybe they want to keep it for an extra day because they want to drive out to Shenandoah National Park, which is another one that's nearby, but not one that you're going to be taking an Uber or taxi to get to. Yeah, that you need the rental car. So how far is it from downtown? approximately. It's 75 miles from DC, from downtown. And uh, there are a few different entrances. The closest entrance to DC is Front Royal. With no traffic, it takes about an hour and 20 minutes. Um, I have done that, but there is often traffic. No traffic is a huge asterisk. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And um, from DC to the Thornton Gap entrance is about an hour and 40 minutes. And if you're going to um, Big Meadows Lodge, which is kind of in the middle of the park, and you want the most direct route, you would probably go in the Thornton Gap entrance. When I, Whenever I go, I go to the Front Royal entrance because it's the closest. So that's really the only one that I've ever used. But this is also a linear park, similar to the CNO Canal Park, where you can go in on one end, drive all the way through, and exit out on the other end. Right. Yeah. So Skyline Drive, a lot of these national parks across the country have their famous drives. And for Shenandoah, that's Skyline Drive. It's 105 miles long, and it takes you from 
Front Royal, the, which is the North District, the Central District, and the South District. Um, there's the Dickey Ridge Visitor Center in the North, the Bird Visitor Center in the Central, and then there's a Mobile Visitor Center in the South. The way it's uh, – when if you're visiting, you're, you can do the drive, and if you want to be active, you can go out and do a lot of wonderful hiking. Unlike other parks, you can see, you can just hang out in the North District and you're getting a good taste of the park or the Central or if you are coming from the Southern direction, you can just hang out in the South District. And it's not like you're really missing out if you didn't get to all three sections because you have your waterfall hikes, your vistas, the historic sites, and the Appalachian Trail, which goes through the park 101 miles go through the park. So those are every section of the park has all four of those types of uh, hikes that you can do. I have uh, a few favorites, but I've actually never been to the Southern District. I've only been to the North and the Central. Yeah, I usually only go to uh, a small area of the park when I go because like you said, Skyline Drive is a little more than 100 miles long. But if you were going to try to drive the whole thing, it would take several hours because it's a small road and there's a speed limit and there's other people driving on it. So it's not like you can just fly through like you're on the interstate. You really do take your time and uh, take in the nature as you're going through. And it's a very windy road. So one of my daughters does get a little carsick. (laughs) So um, it... I don't know if we would ever do that, drive the entire the entire Skyline Drive. <laughs> no. And of course, you want to get out because you're in such a beautiful place. You're in nature. You want to actually be able to experience nature. So even though the road itself is about 100 miles long, there's like 500 miles of trails. And that's because if you look at the map, they're windy you know, around inside the park in a way that the road is just kind of straight through. Well, windy, but straight through. Right. Exactly. So what you do is you would uh, decide on what type of hike you want to do, you know, find the spot on the map where you go to park your car for that, and then you can start from there. Yep. And there's there's hikes that are accessible. There's hikes that are longer. The ones with waterfalls and that are closest to the road tend to be the most crowded. But the rangers are really great. And if you want to get away from that, they can refer you to comparable hikes but are a little you just have to go a little bit further and how do the, how do folks find the rangers are they uh pretty easy to find are they in all the little rest areas and visitor center areas so you have to go to the visitor center um so the there were the three that i mentioned uh dicky ridge visitor center in the north district pretty close to the entrance um and then the bird visitor center in the central district and then there's that mobile visitor center in the south i always have you know, maybe a little bit of an idea of what I want to do, but I always go, my first stop is to the visitor center to then confer and, you know, make a final plan. And even though one of the most wonderful things about the national parks is that they're free to visit, this one is not entirely free to visit. Is that right? So many of the parks, not, I don't know the exact number, but uh, many of them do have an entrance fee or a parking fee. And so you can get a park pass uh, depending on how many parks you're going to visit, you may want to get an annual pass or you just pay for, um, you know, pay for parking. And it's good for a few days. 
Yeah, so the one at Shenandoah, if you have a single vehicle, like a regular sized car, um, there is a fee, and it's good for up to seven consecutive days, which is great, uh, except that you might feel like you're not getting a great deal if you only go for a single day. But, um, you know, if you do want to stick around for a little bit longer or go, you know, on the beginning of your trip and then come back again at the end, it's certainly possible to do, especially if you're driving in from a part of the country where maybe you're passing by anyway. And you're paying for the car load, and it's, you know, it's going to a good cause because it's going to the park <laughs> and you know they need money to uh for the upkeep um great falls also has an entrance fee um uh, which i don't know what that is right now well we can all uh, check the website before we go and i tend to not like to give prices on this podcast or in my videos because they're constantly changing and i don't That's want them true. to be out of date by the time that someone finds and listens to this so the national park service does have a very uh easy to navigate at least i think it's fairly easy to navigate website so you can find information about the park uh, before your visit so the blue ridge mountains are part of the park and do people try to climb the Blue Ridge Mountains? What are the Blue Ridge Mountains exactly? That's the mountain ridge that runs through the park. Um, and it goes from 500 feet to 4,000 feet and has a very diverse ecosystem. There are, you know, plants and animals that you don't find anywhere else, like the Shenandoah salamander. It's endemic to the park and not found anywhere else in the whole world which is pretty cool. There's also so many different types of orchids in Shenandoah. So things that you wouldn't necessarily think of. And you mentioned black bears earlier when we were talking about Great Falls. Now, I wasn't sure about how to respond to that for Great Falls. I can confidently say that there are black bears in Shenandoah because we've seen them every time we visit. (laughs) Well, that sounds either pretty awesome or pretty terrifying, depending on your perspective, I think. <laughs> exactly. They're actually, they're fine. They, uh, big meadows around the campground, around the lodge, I've seen bears. Um, and then most recently, we went last spring break for a few days to Shenandoah. We were hiking the South River Falls Trail, which is... Um, a trail that's less busy than the more popular Dark Hollow Falls Trail. And um, it circles back onto the AT, the Appalachian Trail. And so we saw the falls. We're working our way back on the AT, back towards the parking area. And someone coming towards us kind of motions and points, there's a bear over there. And so we start walking slowly, and sure enough, just off the trail, a little bit up up the mountain, uh, but not that far from us, there was a black bear. So we walked slowly and quietly and watched it, and it was minding its own business, took some photos, but then Brian is motioning to me, all right, come on, let's go, let's keep moving, stop taking photos. <laughs> Probably good advice for the moment, although I'm sure those are pretty cool photos. <laughs> So one thing that's cool to me about Shenandoah is the connection to the Civilian Conservation Corps. And I talk about the Civilian Conservation Corps on my tour of the National Mall at the FDR Memorial, because in the second room, which is all about the New Deal, uh, we learn about some of the stuff that was happening in that era. And the Civilian Conservation Corps is mentioned by name in the memorial, and they built many of the great parks in our country, including this one. 
They they sure did. Yeah. So what you can see evidence the road, the road that you're driving on, those walls that line Skyline Drive, that is all the CCC. Um they're you know, the buildings that you see, they they are responsible for what you see today as uh Shenandoah National Park. The founding of this park is somewhat controversial because uh there were people living in this area and they were displaced so that a park could be created. And one of the many responsibilities of the CCC was to, you know, take down all of those houses and all of those buildings and just bring back the nature so that you didn't see evidence of settlement. Some of the hikes, you will see some evidence, but a lot of it was taken down. There's only, you know, a little bit remaining of what existed from those original settlers. Hmm. So that's when I talk about the CCC, I talk about how they built all these wonderful parks. But there's also the dark side of it that I suppose I should mention occasionally as well. They're just doing their their jobs. And, um, you know, now today they the park actually has a really good relationship with a lot of the descendants of of those people who were displaced. So there's two sides to uh, every story. As far as visiting Shenandoah, uh, the most popular time in Washington, D.C., or at least when we have the biggest crowds, are during the summer, June, July, and August. But Shenandoah gets its biggest crowds a few months after that. Yeah, fall is the big time to visit Shenandoah to see the fall foliage, which is just gorgeous, but... You know, it's also insanely busy. So if you're going to go, go during the week, go very early if you can. Uh, Weekends will be very, very busy. Yeah, I don't think of this part of the country when I think of changing leaves. I typically think of Vermont and Massachusetts and, you know, the Northeast. But from the pictures I've seen, it is up there as far as quality fall leaves go. Oh, yeah. It's it's stunning. So let's change gears a little bit and move to back towards the city. Uh, a small National Park Service unit, but one that you really like a lot, I know. It's called Kenilworth Park and Aquatic Gardens. So what is it about it that you like so much? I've just, I've been there so many times. My kids' school uh, that they used to go to when we lived in D.C., we would always take field trips there. It's uh, it's small but beautiful. Um, it's part of the Anacostia Park. It has its origins in uh, the 1926 Act of Congress to preserve the forest water quality and recreation value of the waterways around Washington D.C. And it has incredible birding and wildlife viewing. Great spots for photography. It's like a water garden. It's just a really interesting place. It's There are paths and then there are these different squares of water where you see different types of water plants and water lilies. It's known for the lotus flower, which blooms in the summertime and there's a big lotus festival. Funny, I actually, I've been there in every season, but never in summer. Uh, but I would love to see the lotus flower sometime in bloom. That would be really amazing. Um, People go there to paint and do picnics, and there's there's surrounding ponds on three sides. Uh, it's the uh, original tidal wetlands of Washington, D.C., and it serves as a buffer to filter the water, controlling floods. 
and has a really interesting habitat. So um, field trips that we've taken with the kids' school, we've always been looking for, you know, wildlife, frogs and and birds and different things and and uh, looking at the life cycle, things like that. But the uh, the water lilies, seeing all the different types of water lilies, that's definitely my favorite. And I've taken some beautiful photos there. This is without a doubt a hidden gem. I think a lot of folks who live in D.C. were spoiled in the sense that we have, even though we live in a big major city, we have so much nature nearby between the National Mall East Potomac Park, Rock Creek Park, you know, these big parks that people like to run and bike and jog in, that these smaller ones like Kenilworth Park, they kind of get overlooked just because they're not the big ones. They're not the ones that people go to all the time. It is a hidden gem. And a lot of people who live in D.C. don't even know it's there. Um, Another one that's not, uh, it's not part of the National Park Service, but it's very close to um, Kenilworth is the National Arboretum also a hidden gem and one of my absolute favorite places in DC. And um, you can see the eagles. There is a big eagle's nest there. And um, they usually they usually nest there. I think last year was the first year in many years that they didn't. So I'm not sure what will happen uh, next spring. I think you're right about that. I think a lot of people are really rooting for the eagles to make a return. Uh, I actually covered this in episode three of the podcast. My guest Eric described this as a museum of trees, which I thought was pretty funny, but is actually fairly accurate for what you're going to experience when you go there. Yeah, I I just love going there in every season. I could talk about the Arboretum for hours. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we've got a lot of material to cover. So we'll have to take a pause on that and save it mm-hmm. for another time. One more park I want to ask about is an interesting one because it's one that a lot of people go to, even though they don't realize they're going to it. And <laughs> the park I'm talking about is called the George Washington Memorial Parkway. And the reason I say that is because it includes sites like the Arlington Memorial Bridge, the Netherlands Carolyn, which has one of the best views of the city, and the Marine Corps uh, Memorial, also called the Iwo Jima. So a lot of people wind up over here in this park and they see some of the sites there and don't even realize they're in the George Washington Memorial Parkway. But what else is over there and what else is cool about this area? Yeah, one my favorite thing to do over there is to bike ride. You can rent bikes or get one of those city bikes and riding over the Arlington Memorial Bridge, seeing the cemetery, and then, you know, hang a left and head in the direction of towards Mount Vernon. It's just so beautiful. You'll end up going through Old Town, um, Alexandria, and on the way, you'll pass some of those things you mentioned, uh, among others, like the Dyke Marsh Wildlife Preserve. Um, there's things all along the way if you, and you can take it all the way down to Mount Vernon, which is just fabulous. And that's a great bike ride to do in the fall. And then another thing you could do is turn right when you go over the bridge instead and go towards, uh, Theodore Roosevelt Island, which is one of my favorite places. It is also just a small park but has wildlife to see incredible birds and um, in the middle of the island there's this huge statue of Theodore Roosevelt 
It's a really fun place to visit and great for some hiking. Another way to see that park is to rent kayaks. There's a few different boat houses on the Potomac in D.C. You mentioned one earlier, the one under the Key Bridge. And there's another one that's um, used by GW. Uh, is that the Thompson Boathouse, I think? Yeah, and the Thompson Boathouse is nearby. It's uh, near the Kennedy Center in that part of the city. And so you could rent a kayak and and get to the island that way. Yeah, I definitely know people who have done that. I am personally not a very skilled kayaker, so my one word of wisdom would be to do a little practicing uh, kayaking back home uh, and make sure you're feeling confident enough before you try to go someplace uh, on the water like that. But it's a fairly easy ride. The rivers are pretty calm, and so it's pretty easy to get around in a kayak like that. It is. It's beautiful. That's also another one of my favorite activities in the fall in D.C. I used to always do that. Um, and um, there's Arlington House, which is at the Arlington Cemetery. That is a beautiful place to visit. Uh, the Clara Barton National Historic Site, which is right next to Glen Echo Park. Glen Echo Park is kind of like this um, artist compound. And um, it's a neat place to visit. They have a lot of great events there. Yeah, the thing that I love about the George Washington Parkway is that it has the word parkway in it, which unfortunately, a lot of people look at and they say, oh, it's where you drive. It's where you commute. It's where you what you use to get to work. And some people use it for that purpose. But its primary purpose is not supposed to be a place where you drive. It's supposed to be a place where you can experience these great sites. Exactly. And that's why it was initially built to take you from these different places. And I tend to agree that using a bike is one of the best ways to get around this park. The Mount Vernon Trail is the name of the trail that you were referencing, the one that goes all the way to Mount Vernon. Uh, It goes right past Washington Reagan National Airport. So if you're flying into town, when you land at the airport, uh, look Off to the side, not the side with the river, but the other side. And there it is. There's the park right there. Which is another popular spot. I'm trying to remember the name of it. It's been so long. Um, Oh, you're thinking of Gravelly Point. Thank you. I knew it began with a G. I just couldn't come up with it. And that's a fun spot. I used to take my kids when they were little and still in strollers to just watch the planes going overhead. And you kind of feel like you could touch them. (laughs) They're going right over your head. Absolutely. Uh, If you're an airplane buff uh, or you're into anything aviation related, that spot is one of the most unique spots in the world. And I'm not exaggerating about that. So definitely grab a bike and head over there and check it out. (laughs) Well, Danielle, I really want to thank you for spending some time to share your wonderful knowledge of the national parks and some of the things that people can do when they're coming to Washington, D.C. for their trip. And like I mentioned earlier, you are the host of Everybody's National Parks. And so can you tell uh, folks where they can find the podcast and what else you do? Absolutely. Yeah. So my website is everybodysnationalparks.com. You can find Everybody's National Parks uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. And um, I'm also on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And so you can find me there, follow, see my pictures, send me a message. And uh, I do have a whole series on Shenandoah. So if you are uh, looking to go there and want to know more about the park, I have a 
actually five-part series, uh, starting with my trip report, uh, ranger tips, camping, plants and animals, and a two-part, two episodes on the history, because the history is pretty interesting there. You also have the episode about the fossils in D.C. that people should listen to. An episode about the cherry blossoms, which, if depending on if you're listening to this on launch date, is going to be coming up soon. Next month is cherry blossom month, so you can listen to that. And I don't think you give yourself enough credit about this, but you had Ken Burns on your podcast talking about his documentary, The National Parks. I did. That is, if you're... If you love the national parks and you've watched that uh, series on um, PBS, thank you. Um, if you've seen the documentary on PBS, you definitely want to listen to that episode. I just love that interview and never tire of listening to it. One of the things that Ken said that just really resonates with me is that. Of course, we have this whole big, beautiful country, these national parks to see everywhere and amazing places like the Grand Canyon and the big granite walls of Yosemite. And it's important to see these places, but it's equally as important to um, whose hand you're holding when you see them. And so I just really love that. And Shenandoah is kind of that place for me. It really holds a special place in my heart. It's one of the first... I think it's the first national park I ever visited uh, a long time ago when I was in college with my sister and my best friend hiking Old Rag. And then Brian and I used to take drives there. And then it was the first park my kids ever went to. And we've been there many times. We kind of consider it our home park. And someday I dream of taking my grandchildren there. That's a wonderful way to end our conversation. So thanks again, Danielle. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.